1 Corinthians chapter number 15 tonight. I want to read you just one short verse, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Now tonight I have a request of you, and I'm going to ask something very difficult, but I want you to get logical with me about one of the most illogical events that's ever happened in world history. Now this week I was reading up on some illogical questions that uh, kind of were posed, and, and for the audience that were there last, was here last night, I changed up the questions, so at least you'll get to enjoy this part of the sermon. But first of all, the number one question that I got, and man, I hope I didn't lose my paper, amen, that wouldn't be good. That's all right. Why, when you put something on a ship to transport it, is it called cargo, and you place that same item on a ship, and it's called, a sh uh, on a car, and it's called a shipment? Don't understand that. I don't understand that when a cow laughs, why milk does not squirt out of its nose. If you throw a cat out of a moving car, you like that one, honey? Amen, I like that. Amen, I finally made her laugh, everybody. Give me a big hand. Five years we're going on. If you throw a cat out of a moving vehicle, does it then become kitty litter? Amen. Amen. And finally, I'm going to repeat this one because last night this was a big hit. But why, when you overdraft in your checking account, does the bank charge a fee for insufficient funds when they of all people know there's not any money in the account? <laughs> now those are some humorous questions that require a, a lot of logic and really don't present an answer. But tonight I want to ask you a very serious question, and it is this. If there is no resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if it's all just a lie, if it's all just a farce, where does that leave me and you? What does that mean for us? Well, in our passage tonight, Paul concludes three relevant realizations, and I want to share them with you tonight. First of all, in verse number 14, he concludes this, that if there is no resurrection of the dead, if there is no glorious power of our Savior over the grave, then we are suckers. Verse number 14. The Bible says, If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. And your faith is also vain. Now the word vain means pointless. It means uh, without effect. That's what the word vain means. And so essentially Paul concludes this. If Christ did not raise from the dead on the third day, what are we doing here? What is the reason for all of the hours spent and all of the songs sung and all of the Bible preaching you hear? What is the reason if Christ did not raise from the dead? When I was in California, I had the opportunity to get a job and uh, I called my dad and I wanted to make sure it was all right with him. And he said, son, finally, you're going to learn some work ethic. Amen. I'm excited about that. And when I was, uh, I had the opportunity to work at a golf shop. Man, I was excited about that. And uh, I went in there that first day, me and a buddy, we both got a job at the same place. And they were giving us some instruction. It was really funny is 
they introduced themselves to us. They, they kind of talked to us a little while, kind of an interview, and they said, well, you got the job. Here, let me show you this. And they pulled out from under the counter a, a gun. And they said, only use this in case of emergencies. I was like, what? Oh, this is first day stuff. I don't want to know where we're going from here. That was kind of funny. But then as we proceeded throughout the interview, she uh, began to explain to us how that in past, employees just got lazy on them. And there were many times when they would trust the employees to run the store without them there. And so they asked of us to always stay busy. And I think that's a a reasonable thing for your employer to ask of you, to stay busy, stay working. I'm not paying you to sit around. Now, I understood that, but it was difficult to do this. And the reason why is it was not a large store. In fact, it was only, I would say, about 1,000 square feet of retail space. So anytime you weren't helping a customer, say, hit golf balls or, uh, 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 you know, rearrange the shoes or put things up, if you weren't doing this and you'd already gotten all your daily responsibilities done, then essentially you had nothing to do. And so as employees, we somewhat had to create jobs and tasks for ourselves. And so as teammates, me and my friend and and the other guys that worked in the store, we created a a, a series of events that led to us staying busy. Because what our bosses would do is they'd check the security cameras. That's just dirty, isn't it? So we figured out a way to look like we stay busy. Now our bosses always wanted the racks and the hangers to be evenly spaced. They didn't want them to be tight here and and, uh, spread out here, so they wanted them evenly spaced on the arms. And so what we would do is the first guy would go through and mess them up. And he would bunch them up here and he would spread them out here. And then the guy behind him would go back through and separate them and spread them out. Now to our employers, all they saw was people staying busy. But as employees, we knew what we were doing. We were doing a lot of work and accomplishing nothing. If Christ did not raise from the dead, you know what you're doing right now? A lot of work and accomplishing nothing. All the money you spend, all the praise you prayer, all the time that you think about the church and your ministry and affecting those around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of it, as Paul labels it, is vain. We're suckers. Not only are we suckers, we're still sentenced. The Bible says in verse number 17, now look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Now notice, ye are yet in your sins. Now as the Bible proclaims time and time again, men without Jesus Christ in their life stand guilty before an almighty God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is not one person that's ever lived that has been righteous save Jesus Christ. In fact, Romans chapter 3 verse 19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law. Now notice, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may stand guilty before God. If Jesus Christ was just a liar, and if his power was not strong enough to overcome the grave, you owe a debt you cannot pay. And you are a sinner not saved by grace, but trying to run a race you cannot win. 
if Jesus was not who he said he was, and if Jesus did not do what he promised to do, we still owe God. And eventually, we, like the rich man, will find ourselves waking up in hell, lifting up our eyes and realizing the unbearable torment that is hell itself, if Jesus Christ did not raise. Not only are we suckers, not only would we be sentenced, but thirdly, we are sorrowful. We are sorrowful. Look in verse number 19, notice this. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, if it all ends when we die, if in this life only we have Christ, now notice, we are of all men most miserable. You ever known anybody that's just miserable all the time? You ever known anybody that just, no matter how, they could win the lottery and you'd think that their dog just died. And I'm talking about the Powerball lottery. You know the one that all our church members were playing the other day. I asked somebody, I said, now I know the odds of you winning the Powerball are astronomical. But what are the odds of you winning the Powerball and never having to buy a ticket? Because that's the way I was playing. Hey, I still had a chance though. Look, I, I think it's pretty funny how uh, some people, you get around them and they just know how to rain on your parade. You say, what a wonderful, lovely day we're having. This beautiful spring weather. The flowers are blooming. The butterflies are flying. And they say, yeah, but rain's in the forecast tomorrow. <laughs> well, and you say, well, it takes something to make the grass green, amen? <laughs> Man, some people are just miserable. But did you know if you didn't have Christ, that's where you would be? Uh, we would have no hope of living. We would have no reason to live. I, I was doing some research and I was looking up some, some quotes from humanists, people who don't believe in a God and believe that this life is all there is and that mankind as a whole is just an accident and it happened long ago uh, 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 just as an absurdity. This man by the name of Peter Wessel Zaff says this. Now this is pretty deep, but really it's just a lot of nonsense. He says, we come from an inconceivable nothingness. We stay a while in something which seems equally inconceivable, only to vanish again into inconceivable nothingness. You say, what a bleak outlook on life. What a, I don't even know why that guy gets out of bed. If all he goes, he came from nothing, he's going to nothing, and he's accomplishing nothing, why would he even get out of bed? My friend, we would be the exact same way if we did not have hope in Christ. If we did not have a Savior who raised from the dead so that one day He could raise us from the dead and give us a, a glorious home in heaven. If we did not have that, we would be suckers, we would be sinners, and we would be of all people the most sorrowful. What a bleak outlook on life. And that all happened if Jesus Christ didn't raise. Now I ask you to answer me this question. What happens if he did? What does it mean for me and for you if Christ did what he said he had come to do? Well, I think our passage this evening teaches us three things. First of all, if Christ did what he said he was going to do, and if Christ was who he said he was going to, uh, who he said he was, then we can trust in his promise of salvation. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I mean that if a guy has the power to overcome the grave, 
He's worth listening to. And I believe that when he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, I would say if he could defeat the grave, I would say he could accomplish that mission. I would say when he looked at a bunch of Pharisees and he looked at his disciples and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I would listen to that guy because he, he accomplished some pretty incredible things. Now, if you asked me to take a basketball lesson, I wouldn't go to Tiger Woods. I'd go to uh, Michael Jordan or Dad. Dad would be a good one as well. If you asked me to take a golf lesson, I definitely wouldn't go to Michael Jordan because I've seen him swing. I'd probably go to, well, not Tiger Woods, obviously. But you see, when you want to have an answer to a, a question, you go to an expert in that field. And by Jesus doing what he said he was going to do, you know what that made him? An expert. And not somebody that had done spurted. Somebody that knew what they were talking about. Somebody that had power. And so when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, he validated all of those things by him gloriously resurrecting from the dead. When he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life, I would say, Okay, I believe you. You can trust in his promise of salvation. And what's even better is this morning his preacher was preaching, he talked about how if the God that raised from the dead is the one holding me, I feel pretty secure. He not only gives you the power of salvation, but he gives you the permanency of salvation. Man, I, could you imagine going into Willy Wonka's factory? Now stay with me. I know we're getting off track. This ain't even a point in the sermon. We're just winging it tonight. Could you imagine going to Willy Wonka's factory and Willy Wonka saying, we have an everlasting gobstopper. And you say, oh boy, what's so special about an everlasting gobstopper? Willy Wonka then proceeds to explain to you that you have to have a gobstopper. And when you get a gobstopper, it only goes out after a little while. Although it's titled an everlasting gobstopper, it does not actually last forever. Well, that would be a little disappointing. The value of the everlasting gobstopper is that once you had it, you never needed another. And I tell you what, the value of your salvation is that once you got it, you ain't got to get anything more than you done already got. You have eternal life. I've never understood somebody saying, well, I can lose my eternal salvation. Well, that was kind of a terrible warranty you got on that salvation. That's one of them limited clause salvations. My friend, mine is bumper to bumper. Mine is powertrains. Mine covers the paint. Mine covers the wipers. Mine covers the exhaust fluid. Mine covers it all because my salvation was permanent. Brother Sean told me not to hit this pulpit because he wasn't sure it'd stay standing. I just hit my iPad instead. Now we are going to really wing it the rest of the sermon because i got a cracked screen. I don't even know what I'm going to preach. We can trust in the promise of His salvation. Secondly, we can trust in the promise of reconciliation. Now look in verse number 18. I'm not coming up with these. I want to direct your attention to the Word of God. These are found in God's Word. Verse number 18, Paul says here, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If Christ never raised from the dead all those that proclaimed of faith in Him before are just gone into a black nothingness. All of those saints, all of those friends, all of those loved ones which we cared for so dearly while they were on this earth, all of them do not exist any longer. 
if Christ did not raise from the dead. But if he did, every man, woman, and child who professed a faith in Jesus Christ will one day get to see them. The Bible assures us, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The Bible says, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So all of those friends that you had that you've stood over their casket, all those friends you've had that you lost early, all those relatives, all those neighbors, all those loved ones, everyone you can uh, look back over your life and say, boy, I missed them so dearly. You don't have to miss them for long because one day when Jesus parts the eastern sky or one day when Jesus calls you home, there your friends will be and there your neighbors will be and all your loved ones and they'll jump into your arms to greet you and welcome you into heaven. What a wonderful, glorious thing. My wife and I several years ago lost a a daughter It was our first child at 20 weeks. We obviously were very young. We didn't know how to handle all the the situations that arise. You know, it's just there's so much going on in those times. But I stood over the casket that day, just about a shoebox, you know, very small. And we placed that casket in the ground, and I fully well knew that my daughter was not in that box. I fully well knew that my daughter was not in the hole in that ground. And one day they're going to bury my carcass right next to her. And they're going to bury my wife's carcass right next to her. And that's all this is. It's just an old rotten carcass. But my spirit will look to God and I will meet my daughter one day in heaven. A promise of reconciliation. And Christian, if you can't get excited about that, there's something wrong with your exciting button. A promise to meet all those ones that we love so dearly. King David even alludes to this as he says, as his child fell gravely ill, seven days he wept over his child, seven days he mourned over his child. His servants were so worried that he was so distraught that when the child died, they wouldn't even go in to tell him the news. David sees them whispering and sees their uh, uh, faces and he said, did the child die? He say, yes, Lord. As uh, David kind of gets up, he goes and uh, showers himself and cleans off. He goes and eats at the table. And they look at David and they say, what are you doing this for? There's such a change. You were so distraught and down in the mouth when your child was alive. And now he's dead and it's like you're happy about it. And David says, oh, no, I'm not happy about it. And these were his words. While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back? And he goes on to say, I shall go to him, but he shall not return unto me. What a promise that one day we will see all of those loved ones. The promise of salvation we can trust. We can trust the promise of reconciliation And finally, we can trust his promise of affection. You know what I like about the ministry of Jesus? Well, there's a lot of things to like. But one thing I like is how he cared for those around him. He met needs of people who had needs. Jesus healed those who had infirmities. Jesus helped those who needed help. And I'm so thankful that my Savior took time to notice those that were hurting. Can you imagine being Jesus? Hearing every thought in your mind that every person has in their mind. 
knowing the, 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 the uh, person's speech on the backside of the hill and knowing the person's speech directly in front of you, all at the same time taking it all in. Jesus was omniscient, omnipresent, and, and, and he knew everything while he was on this earth. And yet Jesus traveled this earth, and the whole time he took time to notice people who were weak. People who were lame and, and beggars. Those were the people our Lord paid attention to. Now the Bible tells us that you and I have this wonderful promise today that we can cast our care upon him. Why? Because he careth for us. Amen. He cares about your issues. He cares about your concerns. That is Jesus Christ and you can cast all your care upon him. Philippians chapter 4 verse number 6 says, Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, man, you have a lot to worry about, sure. But you're not fighting any battle alone. We can, take his tr we can trust in His promise of affection. The hymn writer was right when they said, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs, uh, sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. This evening I've asked one thing of you. I've asked with you and me that we would gather around the Word of God and logically examine if Christ did not raise from the dead, what does that mean for us? But if Christ did raise from the dead, what does that mean for us? But as I started out the message and said, I'm asking you to be logical about something that is totally illogical. You cannot wrap your mind around why God would pity me. You cannot wrap your mind around why God, even in my worst sinful condition, why God would look at me with any type of love or compassion. You cannot understand why God says in His Word, even the very best deeds that you accomplish on a day-to-day -day basis are as filthy rags unto Him, and yet He still loved you. You can't understand it. More so, you cannot understand the fact and this truth that Jesus Christ, God, Spirit, and in truth, wrapped Himself in the flesh of a little baby, fully dependent upon His mother fully dependent upon his father. And then as he grows up, he, uh, he is dependent upon those around him, and Jesus Christ grows up only to be crushed by the ones he came to save. You cannot understand it. More so you cannot understand, and I tell you, this is the greatest paradox in the word of God, why God would lose an arm wrestling contest to those who crucified him. Why God would allow someone to take his hands and place them on a cruel, rugged cross and place within his wrist there a nail and pierce his flesh and pierce through his bone, you cannot understand. You cannot understand why God would look at those as they ripped his beard out and spit upon him and crushed him and cursed him. You cannot understand this. But the Word of God does not ask you to be logical like I have. The Word of God asks you to see it with the eye of faith. To understand that God did love you through the assurance of His Word. 
to understand by, by the power of his word that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And though we were not worthy, he pitied us. And though we were not lovely, he loved us. You cannot understand it, but by faith you can accept it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, and I close, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Although, friend, I've never understood the cross. I've never understood fully the resurrection. But I accept it as the only way I'm ever going to make it to heaven.